Tapes, a podcast from the Journal of Athletic Training. The goal of this podcast is to interview researchers and clinicians on current topics facing athletic trainers and discuss how we can utilize best practices to improve patient outcomes. My name is Lizzie Hibbard, and I will be your host for this podcast. Currently, I'm a faculty member in the athletic training program at the University of Alabama, and I have a research interest in shoulder and elbow injury prevention in youth overhead athletes. You can follow me on Twitter at EE Hibbard. We are currently recording this podcast during an unprecedented time with athletics canceled and non-essential businesses closed. We know that many people are struggling financially or emotionally during this time. We also recognize that many ATs are now frontline workers. We hope that you are all taking care of yourself in whatever way you need. Because of shelter-in-place restrictions, we are recording from our homes. If there is any change in the quality of the audio, it is due to this, and once we're able to return to work, the audio quality will be back to normal. Like everyone else, we're doing the best we can with the situation at hand. Before getting started on today's episode, I wanted to remind everyone that all content from JAT is open access, meaning it is free of charge to all readers thanks to funding from the National Athletic Trainers Association. In today's episode, we have Dr. Kara Radzak, who is an assistant professor at the University of Nevada at Las Vegas. Kara's research focuses on utilizing biomechanical analysis of movement to evaluate musculoskeletal injuries, particularly overuse injuries of the knee and osteoarthritis. Her current research evaluates the relationship of running biomechanics and injuries commonly associated with military training. Today, she's joining us to discuss research in the military and her new article in the Journal of Athletic Training titled Defining Athletic Training in the Military Setting, a Survey Investigation into Professional Characteristics, Preparation, and Barriers in Clinical Practice. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me today, Lizzie. So before we get started with talking about your research in this article, can you tell us a little bit about your educational background and how you ended up at uh, University of Nevada at Las Vegas? Absolutely. I'm happy to tell you about that. I am originally from the Dallas-Fort Worth area and went to the University of Texas for undergraduate degree. Um, And I was the kid that always thought broken bones were cool. So I knew from the get-go that I wanted to go into sports medicine and... um, decided to go to Texas and identified that athletic training as a major was a perfect route to get into sports medicine for me. And so I did my undergraduate degree there and loved my four years. And then when I I was out. Uh, I was trying to figure out what I really wanted to do in athletic training, and I took a position as a high school athletic trainer in Colorado Springs and was working towards my master's in sports medicine at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And that really um, opened my eyes to research and as a possibility for a future career path. And coming out of that, I decided to take a position at the University of Central Missouri. And that position actually was a split clinical and teaching role where I was teaching with their accredited program. And then I was actually working clinically with the Army ROTPC there. 
And that was my first introduction into the military setting. I really enjoyed that patient population and enjoyed my time teaching and decided, you know what, this is the route for me. I wanted to go and forward with doctoral work and getting a PhD. And so from that point, I went to the University of Hawaii. And I ended up there because of my experience working with Army ROTC. They actually had a position out there that was working with ROTC and liked my background and my knowledge in that. And it checked all the boxes for me. I checked all the boxes for them and ended up getting my doctoral work focusing on biomechanics um, out there and then stayed in District 8 at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas and got a full-time faculty position out here. And on my interview, the first thing I asked them was, do you guys have Army ROTC? Because I want to continue working with that population. Great. So thank you for giving us that summary. So can you give us some of the highlights of your professional career so far and different experiences um, that really stick out to you? Absolutely. So um, like I mentioned, I was not, um, I kind of fell into working with the military, but it really has been a true highlight because I really enjoy um, working with a non-traditional athlete population. And that has actually opened so many doors, both from a professional clinical standpoint, research standpoint, and actually this year, my commander at UNLV brought me into his office and said, had I ever heard of the Golden Knights? And I said, the hockey team? Yeah. And he goes, the Army Golden Knights, where their name came from. And I'm like, absolutely. And they gifted me with a tandem jump with the U.S. Army Golden Knights. So in response to the work that I've done with them and working clinically with the battalion at UNLV, they decided to shove me out of an airplane with some of the best and the brightest in the Army, which was a real amazing experience. Yeah, that sounds like quite an experience and not uh, your typical research award or research um, uh, recognition, but um, definitely meaningful work that you're doing and they're recognizing you in that way. Yeah, my yeah. colleagues joke that my research is taking me to the greatest heights possible. <laughs> uh-huh. I love a good pun. Um, well, so can you tell us a little bit about your research? So I know I gave sort of the generic, this is uh, sort of your, your research focus, but can you tell us some, some more specifically what your research area is and how you're continuing that at UNLV? One of the things with the military is that particularly overuse injuries, are musculoskeletal injuries, are very common. And a lot of people might not realize that the cost um, due to musculoskeletal injuries um, is really is astronomical to the U.S. government. And that's the bread and butter of athletic training is working with musculoskeletal injuries, particularly with the prevention and management of abuse injuries. And so my military research is trying to um, come at this problem from different angles and um, whether it's looking at the development of lower extremity overuse injuries, which is 
most prevalent in the military from a biomechanical lens or looking at the use of traditional sports medicine models in the military um, for an injury prevention and a injury treatment model. So the things that I'm doing with the Army ROTC and evaluating what athletic trainers are doing from a clinical standpoint and helping with rehabilitation in that population. And that's where this article came out of is how are athletic trainers being utilized in the military currently? And of those that are working in the military setting, what do they feel like was really important to get them there and get them successful? So over the time that you've been involved with military and military research, how have you seen the role of an athletic trainer in that setting change um, or maybe grow or develop? I think the really exciting thing is that the role of an athletic trainer in the military is being um, utilized more prevalently. There are increases in the number of positions that are available. Um, It's really hard to characterize what an athletic trainer in a military setting does because all branches are different. All, um, all military setting jobs are different, but the good news is that we're seeing more of them. And I think that's one of the most promising aspects. So you kind of mentioned this is uh, the idea of where this article came from was really um, at understanding what athletic trainers do in these settings and what they were prepared for. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about the characteristics of athletic trainers that are working in these settings um, kind of that you see over overall in the military. Absolutely. So in the individuals that responded to our survey request, um, we're seeing that as a whole, they're very well trained um, and they are experienced athletic trainers. You This is not an entry-level position. Most of the individuals that responded to our survey would not be considered um, young professionals or entry-level, and that was kind of one of the themes that came out of our qualitative analysis was that there needs to be experience gained before going into a military setting because it's very different and unique. And some of the other things that were discussed is that the tactical athlete, if you utilize that term, the soldier, the airman, they're not trying to get back into the game. The game here is really life or death. And so making sure that um, you feel comfortable in your skill set and you're well-equipped to make sure that they're well-equipped. So when you looked at, or based on the survey responses, did you see differences in um, the percentage of athletic trainers that were males and females or based off of their level of education? Were most of them, had they been military service? Some of those things, how did you see that? So what we saw was that it was a pretty good split between male and female participants. Um, 58% male, 41% female. we are seeing that their mean board of certification was 13 years. Um, so they are seasoned professionals. They, 80% of them had a master's degree at least. Um, 
And most of them are not veterans. So this idea that you need to be former service to work in a military setting was debunked with our results. Um, And most of them had been working in those positions in the military setting for around six to seven years. So they had been working there for a while. Other things in what their job was looked like, most of them worked with Army, um, even though the Marines and the Navy were some of the first to adopt the use of athletic trainers, most of our respondents were working with Army, and most were not working with special operations. As far as the position classification, which is really important for those that are looking to get into the military population, the thought of where do I find these positions, half of them were contracted through an independent company. And then we did have about 35% that were general schedule employment or a a GS classification, which is through the the actual government itself. So most of our respondents were contracted through an independent company. And then as you guys looked at what these athletic trainers spend their times doing, um, did it kind of mimic what you typically see in a you know, a traditional setting athletic trainer or were their time, time demands spent differently? Absolutely. It looks very, very similar to a clinical type position. Um, the primary use of time was in rehabilitation tasks, um, followed by injury evaluations and administrative duties. The one thing that we did not ask is whether or not they were spending time in the clinic itself or if they were, for lack of a better term, out on the field. Um, So we don't know that information, which would be an interesting thing to find out. But it does look more similar to a clinical uh, type position. And then you kind of mentioned this, if people are interested in going into this position. And and so both for understanding what the athletic trainers in these settings kind of look like from a training perspective, but also if somebody was interested in in seeing what training they need, what what did you guys find as far as how people actually felt like they were prepared to go into these positions? Was it through their undergraduate curriculum? Did they feel like they needed to obtain additional certifications or training to even be qualified and, and ready to perform the tasks that were needed? That's a great question. That was actually one of our main drivers behind this um, this study is we really wanted to see what people felt like made them successful in their roles as a military athletic trainer. And one of the things that we found, we, we specifically asked, do you believe that your professional level athletic training program prepared you for working in a military setting? And we asked about coursework and also with clinical experience on a one to 10 scale. And it was pretty much smack dab in the middle, right? So we were finding that there was really no, yes, it really helped prepare me for a military setting. No, it absolutely did not. The professional level training was pretty much down the middle. And we did get a lot of individuals say that other things help them with their job, and that includes seeking other professional development, um, obtaining other skill sets like uh, CSCS, other 
continuing education. But the one thing that emerged really specifically was just gaining experience working as an athletic trainer, whether that be with elite teams or specific subpopulations of athletics, um, just general athletic training skills. And then the other thing that really emerged was good interpersonal skills. That was something that was consistent as a theme was interprofessional skills of resilience, confidence, ability to um, communicate, high adaptability with stress were very highly regarded as helping in the position that they were. So those are some of the things that people felt that they needed or had that made them successful and able to get into this population. What were some barriers that participants identified for both getting into this population and then once you were in this population, being able to work effectively as an athletic trainer? So the barriers that we identified through our qualitative themes were very similar to what we were kind of expecting. One was that job availability and the navigation of identifying a military setting job was difficult. So the number of positions is low. Um, There's more and more coming available, but you have to search out for them a little bit more. And the identifying where to find a contracted job, some people identified that it's difficult in the paperwork. It, It is very paperwork background check intensive to find the, to get into these positions. Another no surprise here was the lack of recognition of athletic trainers and what we do. And so um, some people responded that they felt like they had to continually be educating individuals of what an athletic trainer does, what our scope of practices, how can we help the mission. And that was something that was discussed quite often and also a underlying thing that's potentially military specific is that leadership turnover can occur quite often um, when the athletic trainer stays the same. So you're having to constantly potentially re-educate the leadership of what an athletic trainer is and what they're doing. Another potential barrier is the military culture and um, jargon associated with the military. So it kind of came up that there's a little bit of a learning curve um, to what these individuals do um, versus, and also when they're telling you and speaking in all of these acronyms, what they're actually saying. So that is a little bit of um, a potential learning curve there and, and barrier to the position. So you've already talked about or kind of alluded to some of these qualitative themes that you guys were able to generate from the short answer questions, but can you highlight each of these themes and maybe give us a brief overview of the ones that we haven't discussed so far? So of the three themes that we found on the qualitative themes, one of the first ones that we identified was the clinical practice characteristics for athletic trainers in this military setting. And um, things that came back was that people often said that this is a very, very rewarding population to work with. Um, That, like I mentioned before, returning them back to the game, it it means something different. Um, So you're working with somebody to get back into the line of duty and rehabilitating them to be able to be fit to fight, right? 
They also reiterated that this is a very, very unique population that has unique needs. Um, military way of life is different. Uh, there is no off season. Uh, so you're traditional micro and macro cycles don't really exist in this. Um, they have to be ready to go at all times. And another thing that came up was that there is a high availability for future expansion in the as a profession into the military setting. So it's a non-traditional role that uh, people noted pays very well. And that's one of the things that we saw with the quantitative aspects of the study is that people were very, very satisfied with how they were using their athletic training skill set. They were satisfied with the pay, the hours. Um, there are a lot of things that you can do in the military setting. The scope of practice is um, pretty vast and some people mentioned that you could really um, work at the highest end of our scope here. And they also mentioned that there is a huge potential for future expansion. One, because the military um, can utilize our skill set. And two, there is the option that it would, a lot of people mentioned that it would be nice for athletic trainers to actually become a job or an occupational classification. They're called MOSs um, within the military. So to have something like physical therapists have a job classification within the military that you can be active duty and be a physical therapist doing physical therapy. There is not that opportunity right now for athletic trainers. That means we would be deployable. So um, there was discussion in the responses around what the future of athletic training in the military setting would look like. And like I mentioned before, the military um, culture, status, lack of recognition in athletic trainers, job availability. But we also had people say that, that there were no barriers. So just go out there, look at USA Jobs or other military website and apply. So how does this information drive your next research project? That's a really good question. Um, one of the things that kind of came up is how is a glimpse of what athletic training looks like right now in the military setting. Um, as we're seeing more positions open up, it'll be really interesting to see how this emerges um, and if things change in the future of what athletic trainers are being utilized for. Other things that uh, have kind of come up for me is how can we better prepare our athletic training students to potentially work in a military setting? So that's something that I'm um, actively trying to explore. And particularly with an Army ROTC or an ROTC setting where most of my military research is involved with is how can we... Um, interact with these future officers and get them started in the beginning of their military career, understanding what an athletic trainer is, um, what athletic trainers are capable of doing for them and for their future soldiers, and seeing if we can 
start to shift the needle a little bit on the culture of the military and how military members interact with athletic trainers. It's really promising to see that a lot of people that are working in this population um, feel that we're growing as a profession in here and that there's a lot of opportunities. And I really want to see how athletic trainers can be utilized to the fullest extent and what we have to offer a military setting. So as we finish up today, I'm going to ask you to provide us one to two take-home points. And these can be general points about military research or something specific about your research study that you want the listeners to, to remember. Absolutely. So I think one of the take-home messages is to just get experience and there is no one additional certification that is going to necessarily help you get the job, but things that constantly came up was get more experience and work on interprofessional skills and interpersonal skills. Another take-home message for me was that this is a very rewarding career opportunity to work as an athletic trainer in the military setting. Um, People are extremely satisfied or highly satisfied with their roles as an athletic trainer working in this area, even though there are barriers, just like every other athletic training setting, we see barriers. And many of the barriers were not necessarily specific to the military setting, like recognition of what athletic trainers are and what we do, but some of them were. So identifying uh, where to find a job and dealing with the navigating of military culture and status. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for the work that you're doing in this population. Um, It's both rewarding to you and important for us and important for the profession. So thank you for joining us and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. And I would be totally amiss if I did not thank my co-authors on this. Um, Jay Sidori, Mike Hooper, and Trisha Kazumatsu because Jay and Hoop definitely provided some more context from a clinical standpoint because Those gentlemen have been working in a military setting for a while now, and they were incredibly valuable. I hope you all found this podcast informative. That's it for today's The AT Tapes. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please follow the Journal of Athletic Training on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JAT underscore NATA on all three platforms. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will join us for next month's episode of the AT Tapes. Stay healthy.